Thank you so much for serving this morning, praise team. That was really special. It's always uh, special when you see people engaging their, their hearts and their minds and their talents to put forth an offering to God, and then we're all blessed by it. So thank you this morning. Pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to be together this morning uh, in this church, gathering together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you and be reminded of who you are and what you've done on our behalves. And thank you for this opportunity this morning, God, for me to share um, from my heart about uh, what you've laid on my heart and the vision that you've given us uh, for this potential future. So God, I just pray you'll make my, uh, my words clear, uh, my, my mind clear, and my heart open to you this morning as I deliver this message. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Recently, um, on a Monday night, um, Gracie and I met together with the elders, and we began discussing what it would look like uh, if this senior minister position were to be made available. And they wanted to know, you know, what is it uh, that we saw uh, for the future? And uh, we had a, a really good discussion with them that evening. Uh, we shared the things that God had put on our heart, and um, it was a really nice, sweet time of fellowship together. And um, what they asked me to do this morning was basically to share the the same content, you know, I've, I've spent a little bit of time preparing it, but the same ideas uh, to put forth before you to consider as we come to a, a moment of decision this morning. And so I'm excited about that, and it's a little bit different for me, you know, a lot of times you're, 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 you're studying the scriptures, you're, you're exploring what's there, but this is more kind of what's on our hearts and, and what we see and what would be our invitation to you this morning. Now, like we've talked about before, we spent the, the last seven years living in China, and um, one of our favorite memories was this little band of people that would meet together on Sunday mornings. We were, the, the technical term is we were expatriates, meaning that we're not in our home country. Uh, the locals just called us foreigners, often. <laughs> you never forgot where you stood, that you were the outsider. So on Sunday mornings, for security reasons, a lot of times we foreigners would get together. And this particular group was very dear to our hearts. There were four couples, and we came from different backgrounds, um, different states. Some, some were from Texas, some were from Maryland, some were from Canada. And then there was us from, you know, Georgia and Ohio. Different denominations. There were two couples that were Mennonite, which is a little bit different. Um, one couple that was Southern Baptist, and there was us. Um, but what made that group so special was why we were together. We were together, meeting together, reading scripture, singing songs, praying for each other, and just enjoying fellowship because we really needed it. I mean, when you're in a foreign country and you are the foreigner, it is, um, you feel awfully alone. And when you're out there, and each family had been called by God to do something a little bit different, you know, in missions. And so we were all on mission on, in something that God had called each, each of us to do. And so the fellowship was really sweet. And that was a really special memory for us. You know, different men would share every week. Different people would lead music every week. But the spirit in that room was the same. Now, we've all experienced fellowship with other believers, haven't we? Special memories where because you share the same faith, you have so much more in common. Even though you look different, you come from different places, different backgrounds, it's amazing what God does through a spirit of fellowship. He breaks down barriers, 
He opens hearts. And you begin to feel like people that are not blood relatives. You begin to feel like they're family. And that's something that God, only God does. Because that doesn't happen normally. It doesn't happen naturally. And you see it especially when you're living in a foreign country. You begin to sense a bond with believers that's real. It's, 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 it's the real deal. Because there's nothing else that you have in common. The truth is that life in Christ was not meant to be lived alone. But many people in our society, every day they get up and they just go it alone. And they, they close their hearts and they lower their heads and they push on through and just try to make it another day, another week. But life was not meant to be lived alone. So what does biblical fellowship look like? How can we begin to define it? How can we begin to pursue it? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're just going to read five verses this morning, but we'll refer to them multiple times. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is right after Peter's sermon on Pentecost. God has drawn quite a large number together, and we're going to see what their fellowship looked like and what were the characteristics there, kind of as the baseline for our discussion this morning. Beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So we see some some elements here. There was teaching. There was fellowship. There was food. Thank God. Right? There was prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Can you think about what an amazing environment that was? The the potential, seeing God move. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone or anyone as he had need. So they were sharing, they were giving, their hearts were open, they were generous toward one another. Nobody went with unmet needs. What a beautiful picture of the church. Every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this passage, it paints quite a picture of the unity and the fellowship that the early church experienced. And you know what? Our modern circumstances are a little bit different, aren't they? I mean, they were right there at the beginning. They got to see God act in such a powerful way through Pentecost. Many of them had had met Jesus, had known him, had walked with him. And they were also experiencing some hard times. Some of them had come from other nations, and they just decided to set up house there and live there and join him with the body. And then as they would continue to experience persecution... Very real persecution. So their circumstances were a little bit different than ours. But I know that my desire and your desire is to experience what we've just read in these verses. We want to experience the church as God designed it. Now as overseas missionaries, we've been in many different kinds of churches in a number of different countries and contexts. We've been in big churches. I mean, so... For those of you who maybe aren't as familiar, 
a missionary's job, first of all, is you, for us, is we went to missionary training. We spent a couple of years doing that. And then once you've completed your training, you have to go around and connect with all the people that you know, you know, reach out through letters, phone calls, meals, traveling. My goodness, we put on a lot of miles. And uh, your job is to go out and, and, and make those connections. So as we did that, we got to be in lots of different churches. We got to be in big churches, small churches, some home churches. And then when we're overseas, there's all kinds but no matter the type of gathering, we found five things. We found five things happening in churches that we would consider healthy churches. Now, that doesn't mean that they're perfect churches, but healthy churches. There are five functions that occur in healthy churches. When any one of these functions is weak or missing, then that church struggles with both identity. Who are we? Why are we here? And they struggle with purpose. What is it that God's called us to do? When any one of these five functions are weak or missing, then the church struggles with identity and purpose. So what does it mean to be a fully functioning church? And this is the meat of what I'm going to share today, are these five functions. So the first function is community. Community. People know and are known by each other. People know and are known by each other. Now, let's be honest, everybody's a little bit different when it comes to this. You know, we're, we all have different personalities. Um, we have different levels of comfort with disclosure about who we are, and that's okay. We all come from different places. But in a church that's experiencing community, there's no posturing. There's no pretending. There's an openness. You know, you, I don't want to necessarily know everything about the details of your life, and you don't necessarily want to know all of my intimate details, but we're being open with each other, we're being honest, we're putting forth our true selves. So in a church where there's community, people know and are known by each other. Now, so bottom line is that nobody's holding out. Nobody's holding out. Now, I can empathize when people feel like it's necessary to feel closed, because life experience teaches us there are certain environments where we kind of got to keep it close to the vest, don't we? We don't want to open our hearts. We don't want to really let people know who we are. And I can empathize with that. I mean, when life has taught you that openness is unsafe, what other choice is there than, and I'll put it this way, a carefully managed exterior? We're trying to be careful and make sure that we're safe. But my goal personally, is I want to be appropriately transparent with you. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know where I'm coming from. And, I, and my prayer is that that will inspire through the elders, through fellowship, that we can feel like we can trust each other, that this is a safe place where we can really experience community. Now, this didn't seem to be a huge problem for the early church. When you're deeply dependent on one another and you're struggling for survival, I mean, there's no room for pretense, right? There's no room for faking. When you're sharing everything in common, think of the openness in the community that was there. Think of the openness that was there. Now, I believe that our culture, I mean, we've got a lot. When you've, when you've traveled, how many have traveled? What, is, are we doing okay here? Can I get an amen? amen. Financially, are we doing okay? And I think it kind of lures us into this 
false sense of we can rely on ourselves. We're independent. We can make our own luck as Americans. And to some extent that's true, but it lures us into this sense that we don't need each other. We don't need anybody. And so there are folks who run their businesses that way, that run their lives that way, that treat their family that way, that they don't need anybody. But I believe that God would call us to lean back toward an inspiring and attractive form of interdependence. Not dependence where I'm just leaning on you and and sucking resources from you. And not independence where I don't need you. I got this. But interdependence where we're leaning on each other and, and walking through life and experiencing community. Um, our, we had been in China for two years, and we decided it was time to move. So we moved from the provincial capital of six million people down to this um, county seat of about 300,000. And our goal was to engage local believers and kind of develop them so that they could reach out to the minority groups in the area. And so we got connected through my friend. My friend John went with me. He was a Chinese guy, and we went down there, and we had a meal with the, the leaders of a church down there. It was a registered church. Now, in China, there's... There are government-sponsored churches, there are illegal churches, <laughs> and then there was kind of a hybrid that was the registered church. So the government knew they were there, um, they didn't really interfere with their daily affairs as long as they didn't go outside certain parameters. So we got connected with this church, and our goal was really to connect with the local Christians and let them kind of sort of be our family and let them meet our needs and, and show us around and show us where a good place to eat was, a good place to go shopping was. And so we got really connected with this church and in particular with one gal um, named Yetal. And I, she didn't really have an English name, so you'll just have to work with that. Um, but she was a divorced gal and she was very involved in the church and, and she kind of invited us in and, and they really ministered to us during that time. And what we noticed about this church because while we were there, they built a new building. They had a nice building. Um, they had plenty of financial resources because the men who led the church were all successful businessmen from a, from a different province. And um, so the church had a nice building. They, they, they worshipped regularly. They prayed. Man, you hear folks pray. They were praying fervently. And boy, did they study. I mean, they had studies, multiple studies going on every week. They had a new book that they were studying. But what we began to notice over time was that the community was weak. The relationships in that church were weak. On the outside, you would be blown away by what you saw. And they were experiencing persecution. But on the inside, we started to see cracks in relationships, division between a couple of sisters, including our close friend that went unresolved. And the leaders of the church didn't want to get involved. And we also began to notice that when it came to the preaching from the pulpit. It was biblical, but it wasn't personal. I mean, they would talk about God. They would talk about scripture. They would talk about what you needed to do, but the ministers never talked about themselves. They never talked about their personal lives. They never talked about their personal struggles, and we began to realize that it was weak in community, and so when it came to be a a healthy church, they just, they, they struggled. So community is so important to know each other and to be known by each other. And again, I'm not advocating that we just bear all. (laughs) I don't want to do that. 
But I think over time, as we get to know each other personally in one-on-one conversations and meals, which we intend to happen, I think we can build that. And all indications are that here, that's not a, weak, a big weakness. I mean, I sense a strength there. And I look forward to participating in it. I'm really encouraged by what I've seen. And so community is a big, important piece in that. Number two, prayer. Prayer. In a healthy, functioning church, church members pray for and are prayed for by one another. They pray for and are prayed for by each other. So what does this mean? Again, according to each person and personality, we're going to probably disclose a little bit differently. Some of you are going to share a lot. Some of you aren't going to want to share a whole lot about your prayer needs. But the point is, is that when you do disclose those needs that others are lifting you up, and that you're willing to lift them up. And what I'm talking about is not just what I'm often guilty of, the I'll pray for you and then make my exit. You know, I'll pray for you. I'll put that on my list. I'm talking about on-the-spot intercession. Now, why is that so important? I, I, I know you've experienced it just like I have. And, you know, there are some of you out there, and God bless you, I love you. you. When you say you're going to pray for somebody, you actually go do it. I mean, you put it on a list somewhere, and you, and you put it on your mirror, and you do, it, you do it regularly. Unfortunately, I'm not often one of those people. I'm one of the ones that's guilty of saying, I, I'll pray. You know, you know what it is, is I intend to. I intend to pray for you. But how much more meaningful is it when in the moment, when a need is revealed, you say, let me pray for you right now. This happened to me just within the last two weeks. I was talking to a friend of mine, Jeremiah. He's got a church up in Michigan. And I was sharing with him about this opportunity. And as we closed our conversation, um, you know, yeah, I'll pray for you, Dave. And, um, and I said, okay, man, I appreciate that. He said, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to pray for you right now over the phone. And he did. And it meant so much to me. It meant so much to me. So Community, if we're experiencing community, if we know each other, we're known by each other, and then we're praying for each other, then that's, that's going to lead to a healthy church. Now, for the early church, prayer was pretty necessary for them, huh? I mean, it, was, it wasn't optional. If we're going to make it another day, another week, if we're going to be able to feed ourselves, if we're going to be able to survive the scrutiny of the local authorities... We need to depend on the Lord and on each other to make it through another week. Number three is worship. Worship. So what is worship? Is it just singing? Is it clapping? What is worship? Worship is our response to who God is. Worship is our response to who God is. When you know who he is, when you know the Lord Jesus and you're impressed and you're moved, then you want to respond to that. So worship is our response to who God is. In the passage we began with, and I'm going to read it one more time, each behavior or habit, listen with these ears, each behavior or habit described is a response to the goodness of God. You know, people didn't just start doing these things in the absence of God working in their lives. It was a response. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 44, the believers were together 
and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So each one of these acts and behaviors or habits, it's an act of worship. And this is a little bit of a shift for us because we think of it as one thing, but worship is, is our response to God. So whether you're singing or you're serving or you're just living your life every day, you are worshiping. And in authentic worship, if it's from the heart, and again, I think these are all integrated. So if we're in community with one another, if we know each other, we're known by each other, if I'm praying for you and you're praying for me, and we're impressed by who God is, then we're going to worship, and it's going to be free. We're not going to feel afraid of what other people are going to think because we know each other, and we've got each other's back. And so we're going to respond in freedom, and we're going to participate. I mean, there's not, I mean, when you look back at the early church, there's not a lot of bystanders just observing, just kind of on the fringe, if that's you, that's okay, and, and you're more than welcome, and we'll be very glad to have you. But the goal is that we're in freedom together, we're in community, we're praying together, and then we're worshiping, responding to God together. So worship is the third one. And I was thinking of an interesting expression of worship. We, um, I look forward to getting back into it, but when a number of years ago I was involved in a Friday morning Bible study with Lee, called the 316 group, and we became aware of this need. There's a battered women's shelter in the area, and one of the things that was very therapeutic for the women and the animals, or women and the kids and the animals, I guess, was there was a little pen out back where they kept some puppies, and I'm imagining there might have been some cats and other animals as well, and uh, we knew that it needed some repairing, and so I don't remember who arranged it, but we, got, we procured materials, pulled resources, and it took several weeks to pull together. And then we went out there with a bunch of pickup trucks and a bunch of men, and we had to get special permission to know the location of the shelter because it, you know, it's, it's sensitive information for some of those gals and kids. And so I remember it was such a fun day. We're all out there, and we're, you know, of course we're picking and ribbing each other, and, but we're also getting the job done and doing a, an act of service in response to our generous God. And man, that was absolutely worship. It was our response to God. And in that group, we experienced community every week. I mean, we were pretty open with one another. And uh, we experienced, we were praying for each other. And so it was so natural for us to worship together in that way. So you see how they're all integrated. Number four, study. And a healthy church members are seeking to learn in order to apply what they have learned. Now, this is, this is a big difference because what we saw at that church in one Sean was people were studying so hard, but I don't know that they were applying what they had studied because there was a breakdown in community and fellowship. So study is important, and the goal is to apply what you have learned. So the way I thought about this, when I think about so what's the difference when you're studying just to study or when you're studying to apply what you've learned? So when I think there are a lot of people in church, and I've been one of them, that we're just there to be fed, right? Feed me. 
feed me. Oh, man, that was such a good message. That was such a good study. I was fed. And now I'm satisfied. And now I can go home, have a nice meal, take a nap, do another week, and come back again ready to be fed again. And I don't think that's got, in a healthy church, that's not the focus of the individual, is to be fed so that I'll be satisfied. But the purpose of study, and I love study, I love sitting in an immersion group and listening to people discuss the Word of God and think, and we've actually been in Bible study with friends before where we're just putting, we're just studying the Word of God together and applying it right there to our lives and situations. It's so powerful when you're with people who not there to be fed and satisfied, but people who are there to be fueled, people who are there to be fueled and ready to get to work. So when we study the Word of God, let's not go to it looking to be fed and satisfied. Let's approach the Word of God intending, expecting to be fueled so that we can get to work and participate with Him in bringing the change that is needed in our world. And I know you see it, and I don't dwell on it too much because it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, maybe, maybe you're like me where a lot of my life I live insulated from a lot of the hard realities, but some of you don't, and I don't intend to stay that way. There's a lot of hard things going on in our world. There's a lot of people with difficult circumstances, and there are people that are suffering. So let's study so that we'll be fueled to get to work. Now, again, this did not seem to be a problem for the band of believers in Acts. They were bought in. They eagerly poured over the scriptures because it was something they needed. They needed the community. They needed the prayer. They responded in worship, and they needed to study the teaching of the apostles. Just like we need that study, not just to sustain us, but to propel us forward. And then lastly, mission. The fifth function of a healthy church is mission. Is mission. Now, if any one of these elements that we've discussed is weak or missing, sadly, if we try to get on mission together and we're not in community, if we try to get on mission together and we're not praying for each other and have each other's back, if we're trying to get on mission together and we're not living a life of worship, we're not studying the Word of God, you know what's going to happen? It's not going to be sustainable. We might get excited for a project or for a moment, but it's not going to last. But on the other hand, on the other hand, if those four elements are strong and healthy and there is no mission beyond just taking care of ourselves, then the church becomes complacent and inward. But there's an almost magical thing that happens. And, and that I, all of us have personally experienced, I know we've personally experienced it, there's a magical thing that happens when a church completes the cycle of health, when there's strong community, when, when, they're, when we're praying for each other, when we're worshiping together, when we're studying together to apply what we've learned, and then we're on mission together. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless of what God could do with a group like that. And look what he did. He took a little band of nobodies and changed the face of the, of the known world at that time and left a legacy that we still enjoy to this day. Look what God can do when it's all put together. When a team whose hearts are knit tightly together through the bonds of community, prayer, worship, and study, who are also dedicated 
to helping other people find victory. Imagine what God can do. Think of the potency of such a group. So then, as I've mentioned up top, these five functions, you know, community, prayer, worship, study, and mission, they'll be both our roadmap for ministry and they'll be our measuring stick. Now, let me explain what I mean. Our roadmap. As a family, you know, one of our greatest joys overseas was being on mission together, being uh, co-laboring with our kids. I mean, them talking, knowing that they were going into a preschool that day that mommy and daddy didn't get to go into, and that that was their mission field, and that mommy and daddy had their mission field. So the, the way that we do it as much as possible is we do ministry as a family, and that's what we'll bring to the table. And the way that we do ministry, it's very personal. Now, we're not going to be, you know, disrespectful and kind of invade your space, and we're going to give you your space, but if, you, if, if you're open to it, I mean, we want to get to know you. We want you to get to know us, and we want to build that community, which I believe is the foundation for mission, because if it's not there, then mission's going to really kind of struggle to gain momentum. So pastoral care is number one. That's, that's our roadmap, number one, pastoral care. We want to get to know you well. And we want to be known by you. We want to just join in. Again, I, everything looks good. And we want to join into that community that you're already experiencing and build that with you. Our no, step number two is we want to know your needs. We want to pray, prayer. We want to know your needs and begin actively praying with you for your needs. We want to know what your needs are as much as you're willing to share. And we want you to get to know our prayer needs. We can pray for each other. Number three is we get to know each other well, begin actively praying for each other and applying the word of, our, of God to our lives. I, I know, I believe that worship's going to be a result, authentic worship. We'll be responding to God together. We'll be responding to him together. Number four, solid teaching. I will work hard as your minister to provide teaching that is both true and teaching that is helpful. Because if it's not true then we're in trouble. But also, you can have teaching that's 100% true, but what do you do with it, right? So I'm going to work hard as your minister to provide teaching that's both true and helpful. And then fifthly, mission. If we're functioning as God intended in the first four areas, I believe, I know, I've experienced that God was going to move us to action. And it's going to happen naturally. It's not going to have to be forced. It's going to be something that we want to be involved in. We'll ask ourselves the questions, the very dangerous question that I asked myself many years ago before I went to the mission field, what can I do to help? And I think we're going to ask ourselves the question as, we get, as we're knit together closely, we're going to say, what can we do to help? And that we're going to be on mission together. And then it'll be our measuring stick. What do I mean by that? When we sense, you know, in fellowship with the elders and, and, and with y'all, that maybe our, our body's not as healthy in a, in a particular area, then we're going to begin here. We're going to say, okay, things don't seem to be the way we hope. How's our community? You know, how's our prayer as a church? Are, are, we, are we responding to God? Or are we just receiving the blessings? You know, are we studying the word of God so that we can apply it? And are we on mission together towards some, some bigger purpose? Or are we just kind of 
satisfied, you know, with being fed and being comfortable, enjoying each other's company. I, I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's a first step. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to get out there and say, let's get on mission right now. And if you're not getting on board, then no, we're going to spend plenty of time building the health. And I think that the mission will be a natural outpouring of that. And again, to be honest with you, well, actually, I haven't said this, but we don't really have a master plan for how to lead a church. But we do know what it looks like when the church is functioning the way that God designed And we look forward to embarking on a journey with you to discover God's will for each of us and for all of us. One last thought is one way that God works, and you see this with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas when they're sent off on mission, is um, God calls an individual, or in that case, two individuals. He, He calls them, and then the church recognizes that calling, they surround them and they send them out, not, not, not just as, hey, good luck, guys. I'm glad God called you to that. But they were actively involved in the sending and the receiving and the returning and the oversight. I mean, they, they gave direction. Paul and Barnabas, Paul came back multiple times to the home church and said, this is the situation. I need your input. I need your backing. So personal calling leads to corporate involvement. I mean, we could come up with programs and then we could try to urge you to get involved. But what I prefer and what I believe is the model for the church is that God calls you to do something. God moves you to do something. He moves me to do something. And then we all back each other. I think, I mean, I know that that's something that we feel really, you know, convicted about is that we really do believe that ministry is the result of the church family supporting and facilitating the calling of an individual or individuals and is and so we want to get to know you I mean that's why I mean I how am I going to know what what's your, what you're passionate about what 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 gets you excited what makes you mad I mean that's a way to find a calling you know something that's not right and we'll talk more about that in the future but we want to get to know you so we can know how God is calling you And you can know how God is calling us. And then we can support each other and we can assist and come alongside and partner with you in your faith journey. So that's it. I mean, that's that's the vision that we shared with the elders that night. It's the vision that God's laid on our hearts. And if you decide uh, that you want us to be or you want me to be in this position, then that's what we'll do. We're going to get to know you, want you to get to know us. We're going to want to pray together. We're going we're to want to worship God together in all its many forms. We're going to want to study the Word of God together so that we can be, apply it and change our lives and the lives of others. And we're going to want to be on mission together because there's a lot of work to do. But you need a team. I mean, a true body to do it. So that when you're strong and you're ready to go, that we can get behind you. And when you're struggling, we can surround you. And again, when you're ready to go, we can link arms with you. But when you're hurting, we can pray for you. We've got your back. And we'll assist you. I think it's all of that. It's not either or. It's both and.
Pray with me. God, thank you so much for loving us and for valuing us enough that you sent your one and only son to this earth to die on our behalf. And God, we just want to value that. We want to just, we're just so thankful for who you are and we want to follow you, Jesus, each day of our lives. And I just pray for this church right now, Lord, that if you've brought them to this place, um, you've, you're continuing to lead them. And I just pray that your will would be done in this church, God, and for each of these precious people that are your children and that you bought and paid for with your blood, Jesus. I pray that your will would be done, that these people would be encouraged, that they would be equipped to do your will, and that you would um, just bless them, Lord, and also use them for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray.